you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the wicked, You are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. Well, good to be with you uh, today. My name's Andy Judd. A special uh, welcome to you for joining us online. It's great to be opening God's Word with you uh, today. Grateful to the invitation from Guy and the team here uh, to speak on this important topic of justice. Uh, now, some of you uh, know I trained as a lawyer before I became a, a preacher, a Bible teacher. And one of the great lessons that taught me, life lessons that taught me, is always be very careful in answering a question. Always be very careful, particularly a seemingly simple yes or no question. For instance, Emily Lancaster, have you stopped cheating on your tax? Answer carefully now, think before answering. Or another one, do you regret lying to me? Again, answer carefully. Or, Steph, do you love me enough to buy me a pony for Christmas? Of course she does. Now, um, you could say, well, just answer the question. But of course, the problem with these questions is there's so much in the background. Life is full of questions which require an answer from us, a yes or no answer often. Guilty, not guilty. Right or wrong. Yes or no. But under uh, cross-examination, the wise person will always pause and think carefully before answering even a seemingly simple question like those. And this is equally uh, true when you're confronting complex social issues as a Christian. I know many Christians feel a sense of frustration at the many issues that divide us in our day because we feel like we're sometimes in the middle between two competing sides, two competing answers. Are you for us or against us? 
And yet as Christians, very often we're going to want to actually, well, we find ourselves sympathetic to lots of the different arguments on both sides of a debate. In a world of simple slogans and three-second sound bites, it can be hard to, to think straight. And this is where this wonderful book of Proverbs, this series we're doing, the book of Proverbs, is really um, handy to us. Because it empowers us to cut through, to cut across these polarized yes or no type questions and challenge maybe even some of the assumptions in the background. Uh, Guy mentioned, for instance, when we started our series in Proverbs, that very often the book of Proverbs will present us two apparently contradictory uh, Proverbs. Why is the Bible broken? Well, no. What it's trying to do is to teach us that life is complex and to make good decisions We need to recognize that sometimes two things can be true. Sometimes the path forward is not clear, and we need to feel the weight of the arguments on both sides before choosing a path. So Proverbs is not about giving us the answers. It's about training us to be wise, to make good decisions no matter what comes at us, to see both sides of the story before proceeding, but also to point towards a better hope than either side imagined. Now, We're at that point in our series where we're looking at the theme of justice in the book of Proverbs. Originally, I was down just to preach on that theme in general. There's so many things that I could have spoken about. But then the date was set for the referendum on The Voice, which is happening this coming Saturday. So it seemed right to to Guy and the team uh, that we would make the focus of the sermon today, particularly the issues of justice and wisdom raised by the referendum, by the question that Australians will be asked on Saturday. Uh, The referendum on Saturday is a response to the Uluru Statement from the Heart. A significant representative group of Indigenous Australians uh, came together through a long process and came up with what they would ask the rest of the nation. This humble request uh, in in the name of uh, this representative group to consider their proposal for the establishment of a First Nations voice to Parliament. Now, to be very clear what we're not doing today, the goal of this is not to tell you whether to vote yes or no. Our goal this morning is to try to see what godly wisdom we can find in the book of Proverbs to speak into these issues right. And I take it, if I do my job right this morning, it will be much, much harder to vote no and much, much harder to vote yes. Because we will have felt the weight on both sides. Which, whichever way we go, I hope that it will be a better decision for all of us having wrestled together. Recognizing, of course, that there are uh, some people in our church as well um, who are, uh, won't, won't get a vote, uh, who aren't Australian citizens, aren't of voting age. And so we thank you for being here as well and helping us wrestle because this is uh, Christianity is a team sport. So thank you for your prayers and your wisdom into this discussion as well. Because justice is hard. Wrestling with uh, the needs of justice is hard. It's hard work and seldom are there easy answers to complex questions. Be very wary of easy answers to complex questions. Now, in this process, it's obviously very, very important that we listen, uh, particularly to the opinions and the perspectives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as we wrestle with our decision that we're being asked. And so it's worth saying this is actually the continuation of a conversation we've been uh, having as a church, um, uh, which started since uh, Brooke Prentice came and spoke with us, an Indigenous woman 
last year in our Left and Right series. I encourage you, if you don't remember that, go back and look it up and have a listen to what she had to say. It was very uh, helpful and powerful. And I'll try as much as possible to be drawing on the uh, perspectives of Aboriginal people as uh, I go through, uh, people I've spoken with, people I've read. Again, not me telling you how to vote. That's not how it works. Uh, We are a church. uh, We have different uh, perspectives. And I do expect in a room this size we're going to have different perspectives at the end of this. But it will be better... We will be better off for having spoken about this as a church family. From wrestled together with what wisdom might say into this moment and for drinking deeply from the spring of wisdom that is Proverbs. So let's get to work on the Bible text. Uh, The wisdom of justice. In the opening verses of Proverbs, the father sits the son down and implores his son to uh, become wise. And he recommends Proverbs... For a bunch of practical reasons, he recommends spending time in Proverbs. And one of those reasons is that the the son will be able to grow in his ability to discern what justice requires. Verse 3, for doing what is right and fair and just. That's the goal of, of Proverbs. Now, why is that important? Well, it's because ultimately justice really, really, really matters to God. To do justice, Proverbs 21, 3. To do just, uh, righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And what's more, God is the judge of the world. And justice day is coming. Fret not yourself because of evildoers and be not envious of the wicked for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out when God judges the world in righteousness. Now, uh, what does Justice refer to? Well, it's a very thick concept in the Bible. But one um, of the things about justice is it's fundamentally based on a right read of reality. Proverbs 11 verse 1, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. In other words, you go to the butcher and they have one set of scales for measuring when you're buying and one set of scales for measuring when you're selling. God doesn't like that because it's not reality. It's a trick. It also means treating people fairly, treating people the way people should be treated. It is not good, 18 verse 5, to be partial, to be biased towards the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice, giving people as they deserve, treating them right. And we see justice especially in the way we treat the powerful versus the way we treat the poor or the relatively weak. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. You mess with the poor? You're messing with God Almighty. Think carefully. God has a particular passion for the poor. Because everyone on earth is in the image of God. All humans are in the image of God. So when you insult the poor, you insult God. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. The way that we treat the poor is a very good indicator of where we are with regards to their maker. 
So as a people uh, who worship the God of justice, as a people who are committed to sharing God's heart for justice, as a people who gather for church in central Melbourne, uh, we have a dark past to reckon with. Here's the story of how uh, we got Melbourne. One of the Australian history's great missed opportunities, I only learnt this recently, one of the great missed opportunities of Australian history is that Melbourne was very, very nearly called Batmania. <laughs> Here's why. The story starts with a European Australian called John Batman. No relation. <laughs> 50 years before the uh, first trams would rattle through town, Batman comes to Melbourne seeking... I'm never going to get tired of saying that. And we move on. This is serious stuff. Seeking a new life and new opportunities to grow his wealth. Now, um, John Batman was actually uh, born in Australia. His father was a convict. His mother was a free woman but wanted to keep the family together when uh, her husband was sentenced uh, to come to Australia. And so she paid good money to come here with him in order to keep the family together. So uh, Batman had tried to get land to start his business in New South Wales. He was turned down. So he comes to Melbourne via Tasmania in order to seek a new life. Melbourne looks like a great spot to settle. And so naturally, he thinks, what am I going to call this great land that I have just uh, come to? Batmania. Naturally, he names it after himself. Batmania has a ring to it. Now, uh, most European settlers in Batman's uh, position wouldn't have bothered making a treaty or any kind of agreement with the original inhabitants of the area. And this was because our nation, Australia, was founded under English law on the legal fiction that the continent was unoccupied, terra nullius, nobody's land. Now, the truth is, of course, that uh, Aboriginal people have been living in Australia for quite a while, uh, 65,000 years or thereabouts by the time the first Europeans arrived. But because under English law, uh, they hadn't made enough of the land, according to the English jurisprudence, uh, most settlers didn't bother making treaties with them. But actually, John Batman did attempt to make a treaty. On the 6th of June, 1835, on the banks of Merry Creek in what is now uh, around about Northcote, uh, John Batman signed a treaty with uh, the Wurundjeri people, part of the Kulin Nation. And the deal, the exchange on that treaty, is, uh, is this. He gives them 40 blankets, 30 axes, 100 knives, 50 scissors, and handkerchiefs, flour, and shirts. They give him Melbourne. Now, historians today point out that it's unlikely highly unlikely, if not impossible, that the Aboriginal leaders were actually agreeing to permanently sell their land. As one thing, as custodians of their traditional land, of their ancestors, it's actually not for them to sell. That's not how they saw it. What they probably were doing was agreeing to uh, temporary hospitality or safe passage. But in the end, this uh, treaty, whether it was uh, whatever they were agreeing to, didn't matter. Because the governor, the king's representative, decreed that the treaty was invalid. Why? Well, because the land already belonged, said the governor, to the English king. The land, being nobody's land under English law, was not the Wurundjeri people's to start with. 
so they couldn't sell it. It already belonged to the king. Over the next uh, few years, European settlers started uh, clearing, violently clearing the land, clearing Wurundjeri people off their land. Uh, Over this next period, many are killed. Uh, Almost all of them are displaced. There is actually, uh, history tells us, a brave resistance by the Wurundjeri people, uh, but its leaders, the leaders of the resistance, are eventually captured and then the surviving uh, people are forcibly resettled near Healesville and then moved again to uh, an area in Gippsland. And this shameful story, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but this shameful history is why, compared to the rest of Australia, there are so few surviving Aboriginal communities in Melbourne today. I know people who've moved to Melbourne from other parts of Australia are often shocked at that, actually surprised by how few Aboriginal people there are left. And this is why. Now, obviously, the book of Proverbs has something to say about what happened here and how we got the land of Melbourne. Uh, Proverbs, 11, sorry, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 11, would warn European settlers not to let sinners entice them. If sinners say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, wisdom would say, don't listen. The path of violence is to be rejected by anyone who is wise because violence is not the way of the Lord. Proverbs also specifically actually addresses the deep injustice involved in displacing people. Do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless. In other words, those who are unable to protect themselves. For their redeemer is strong. In other words, you might be able to take their land, but you'll have to answer to God. He will plead their cause against you. Now, as we confront the continuing fallout of this unjust history and try to think what justice requires non-Indigenous Australians to do, we sort of find ourselves in a weird position as non-Indigenous Australians because in thinking about justice here, we're really being asked to make a decision towards justice, but one in which we're not really neutral observers. We're not a neutral judge. I'm not a neutral judge here because the group I'm a part of has benefited from this unjust act. I'm part of the nation that has wronged these other nations. And as a result of that wrong, that's why I'm I'm in a position of power to do something or not do something. And so given that story, the humility and the grace of the statement from the heart, I think is all the more striking and deserves our careful attention, if nothing else. Here, their agenda, as they say, it's a short document. Actually, Brooke Prentice encouraged us to read it, and I hope that you will if you haven't already. But this is how they define their agenda. We call for the establishment of a First Nations voice enshrined in the Constitution. Makarata is the culmination of our agenda, the coming together after a struggle. It captures our aspirations for a fair and truthful relationship with the people of Australia and a better future for our children based on justice and self-determination. Specifically, they they go on, in 1967, the last referendum, we were counted, 
In 2017, when this was written, we seek to be heard. We leave base camp and start our trek across this vast country. We invite you to walk with us in a movement of the Australian people for a better future. Whatever you think of the voice, I think as Christians, there's a lot in this document that we will identify with as uh, Christians, as being in tune with the spirit of Proverbs when it comes to justice, at least in the goal. That's not to say that Christians will all therefore be persuaded in good conscience to vote yes at all. But I do think it deserves our careful consideration. So uh, what's going on this Saturday? Australian citizens 18 or over on the electoral roll will be required to write either yes or no on the ballot paper to the proposal to add the following chapter 9 to our Australian constitution. I've got the text of it um, here. Uh, Particularly chapter 9 says this, it recognises Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the first peoples of Australia, firstly. And then under item two there, it establishes this body, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice, and says that it may make representations to the parliament and to the executive government of the Commonwealth on matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. So yes or no, that's the choice that many of us make on Saturday. Now, as I said before, our goal here this morning as a church is not to tell each other how to vote. It's to work out better how we are to vote. To talk about, firstly, how we work out how to vote. What godly wisdom can we bring into the discussion as we think about it? And the first bit of wisdom to offer is from Proverbs 18, verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So it's important that we listen. That we listen Uh, to lots of voices, and that we think carefully about which way to go. So um, what I'm hoping to do for the rest of this sermon is something a little bit unusual, but I'm hoping to offer my summary as best as I can and as neutrally as I can, my summary of what I think the best possible application of Proverbs are to either side. Okay, so I'm going to try to offer two possible applications of the wisdom of Proverbs to this issue. One compelling Christian argument for yes, and one compelling Christian argument for no. The thing is, though, as any lawyer will tell you, the person who goes last has a massive, massive advantage. So I'm going to flip a coin now. (laughs) I'm really nervous about whether I can catch this. I can't see a thing except these lights. Let's go. We good? All right. Heads, yes goes first. Tails, no goes first. And Emily has checked it is not a two. She actually asked me whether it was a two-sided coin. (laughs) What lack of trust. Okay. Can you, you confirm? Yeah, good. All right, let's go. I'm so relieved I caught that. All right, heads, yes goes first. All right, let's do it. Here's the wisdom in voting yes. First argument, first uh, Proverbsy, wisdomy reason. Well, wisdom acknowledges the risk in refusal. Now, wisdom is about navigating life, about navigating the risks of life well in order to reach the best outcome. And so we need to recognize there are grave risks in refusing the invitation before us. So the process leading to the statement from the heart was not perfect. 
but it is the most significant attempt in my lifetime at least to bring together Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people from across Australia to speak and to propose a way forward. It's an extraordinary message, gracious, heartfelt and constructive. It takes under two minutes to read, so please, I do encourage you to read it uh, to help you make your decision. And the risk is that by failing to respond to this gracious move towards peace, this gracious invitation for a better relationship, by hesitating to take a step forward because we wonder if maybe there's a better, a better model, by erring on the side of caution because we're worried that there might be some sort of catch or some unforeseen consequences, the very real risk is that we lose our generation's, our generation's opportunity to respond to grace with grace and to take a step together towards justice. I don't um, often give relationship advice, but when I do, it's always the same thing. Gentlemen, if your wife asks to go to marriage counselling, the correct answer is yes. The correct answer is not, we don't have any problems. And the correct answer is not, I actually really, I've read some literature and I dispute the value of talking-based couples therapies methods. <laughs> Wrong answer, fellas. Seriously. Proverbs 15.31, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. A reproof here is a complaint. It's someone raising an issue or uh, correcting you if, if they're a teacher. And it's always wise to listen. As a general rule of life, when someone reaches out a hand to offer a gesture of peace and reconciliation, it's not a good idea to leave them hanging. A handshake is a symbolic gesture, but it, not taking a hand is an even more symbolic gesture. And there's no guarantee that this kind of gracious invitation will ever come again. Second, wisdom listens to other people, particularly the disadvantaged, particularly the powerless. Now, everyone loves <coughs> to share their opinion, but Proverbs teaches us that it's much, much, much better to listen to the opinions of others. Now, there are exceptions to this, absolutely, but a wise person generally assumes that there are things that they don't know. And a wise person generally assumes that there might be people, the person they're speaking to might be one of them, who knows something they don't know. Proverbs 18.13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Listening is even more important when the person with the complaint or the correction is someone with less power than you. Proverbs 21.13, whoever closes his eye to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. As we mentioned before, God has a special concern for the poor, and so to ignore their perspective is a risky move, if you believe the God of justice will one day judge the world. Uh, Larissa Minikin is an Aboriginal woman and an uh, Anglican church leader in New South Wales. Uh, she said this in a recent meeting of Anglican leaders, the Anglican Synod. Our God has set the standard to make right that which is wrong. My people are in crisis and we seek to be heard. It is wisdom to us to assume that an Aboriginal leader like Larissa knows more about how to improve life for her community than I do. And according to a polling by YouGov and Ipsos, uh, around 80% of Indigenous Australians agree with her that the voice is their preferred way forward. So unless there are very grave dangers that we can see in the proposal, for many people, 
that is reason enough to err on the side of yes. And third, in terms of the merits of the proposal itself, leaders who listen make better decisions. There is biblical wisdom uh, in what Indigenous leaders have proposed in the proposed voice to Parliament itself. See, the, the yes case is ultimately based on a belief that listening leads to better decisions. Listening leads to better decisions. The proposed uh, constitutional amendment we saw on the screen actually gives no uh, political power. The voice has no ability to make laws or, or veto legislation. All it can do is make representations, say stuff, say stuff about things specifically that might affect Indigenous people. And these representations must be heard and considered, but they, cannot, uh, they, they, may, uh, they do not necessarily need to be followed at all. Now, as some people are quite cynical about the power of words, the idea that speaking can achieve anything, but Proverbs gives a very different picture, actually. The wise, says the book of Proverbs, invite these kind of representations. 11.14, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counsellors there is safety. Now, the more I learn about our history as a nation, I read about two things. There are lots of shameful moments where Europeans have done terrible things on purpose to damage indigenous culture and people. But there's also, particularly more recently, many moments when we have done things with terrible consequences from sometimes the best of intentions. It's possible to do terrible things out of ignorance, not out of malice. Nobody disputes that the issues facing Indigenous communities are very complex. Should alcohol be freely available in remote Indigenous communities? How should job creation programs work? How should domestic violence be confronted? It seems to me hard to imagine anyone making serious decisions about these matters without talking to the people involved. But, I'm sorry to say, Australian federal governments on both sides of politics have routinely done just that, have pushed forward with changes without taking on board the advice of Indigenous communities or taking it on board after the legislation is already written, done and dusted. Okay, so that's three reasons that Christians might give to think about voting yes. And yet, we read in Proverbs 18.17, the one who states his case first seems right, until the other comes and examines him. So here's the wisdom, here's the wisdom in voting no. And remember, this is why I flipped the coin, because Proverbs says, the one who says goes first seems right until the next. The wisdom in voting no. Now, to be clear, Christians on both sides of this uh, issue fundamentally agree in the reality of the injustice and the good of helping Aboriginal people. Right? Both sides want to see lives improved, which is good because Proverbs 3.27 says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. The question, though, is the good really good and is the good in our power to do? And it comes down on this side to recognising three different risks. First, there's the risk that it just might not work. 
There is a risk that the voice will actually just slow things down, adding another layer of bureaucracy without guaranteeing any practical improvement in the lives of Aboriginal people. Uh, Bess Nungaray Price AO is a Walpuri woman and a former Northern Territory politician. And she writes this, I will be voting no and I urge all Australians with a conscience, whatever their religion, to do the same. I'm sick of burying our children, seeing education denied to them, seeing them incarcerated, living in dire poverty and taken from families that don't know how to care for them. We want real solutions and decision makers willing to listen to all of us whatever our politics and the languages we speak. In addition, the proposal gives quite broad discretion to the voice, which means that they get to work out what is relevant to Indigenous people, which means that it may create more work and hold up legislation depending on the model that Parliament chooses. We're essentially trusting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to use their right to speak sensibly and not uh, be silly about it. Second, and this was alluded to in uh, Best Price's quote there, there's a risk that the national voice may undermine existing organisations that represent different Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander groups at the local level. So just as the United Nations uh, can't pretend to speak with one voice for all the nations of the earth, or finds it very difficult to do so, one central voice can't speak for all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. See, these nations across Australia have very different languages, very different cultures, very different needs. In fact, the only thing that many of them have in common is around about the same time in history, Europeans took their land. That's it. And a single uh, national voice might be able to speak better to the federal government on federal issues than local groups can, but also potentially undermines those local groups. Giving a central bureaucracy the right to speak for all the different nations, and that central bureaucracy probably... Uh, potentially could be dominated by people from the cities, not from more regional areas. People who identify as Indigenous can have quite different experiences and perspectives. On the one hand, you might have a middle-class, university-educated man from Melbourne who discovered as an adult that they were descended uh, from Aboriginal ancestors in Tasmania. That's one experience. And then on the other hand, you might have an Aboriginal woman from the Roper River region who speaks English as her fifth language, and lives 11 hours' drive from the nearest post office. Very different experiences. Is it helpful to even try to speak for both of them at the national level? Or should local Indigenous groups be left to speak for themselves? Again, Best Price uh, puts her perspective forcefully. If the voice gets up, people who have no relevant experience, no knowledge of our traditional cultural history, and, for too many, no actual descent from our old people, will be able to advise government on what is good and right for our family and our descendants. We need open ears, not a constitutionally embedded, bureaucratised, highly selective voice set up and run by those who have controlled the narrative and the funds for decades while everything got worse for us. Now, related to this is uh, the the genuine question about um, many people have about whether the statement from the heart genuinely represents what a majority of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people want. So the polls, as I mentioned before, do show around 80% support, but it's notoriously difficult to conduct polls in remote communities. And so with a margin of error, the true number may be up to 10% lower than that. And of course, opinions might have changed since those polls were taken. All this to say, if in talking to Aboriginal people in our own lives, the people closest to us, 
we hear concerns about the voice, we do well to listen to them. And thirdly, there is a risk that the voice may exacerbate, not heal, division between different Australians, between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. Now, the intention of the law might be good to make special provisions to address these nations' shared experience of dispossession and continuing disadvantage. But in addressing that, the amendment does give different treatment to different people based on their ancestry. And that, in itself, warrants extreme caution. Uh, Nungai Warren Mundine, for instance, argues that treating Indigenous peoples as a whole rather than as individual nations quote, cements the view of Indigenous Australians as one race of people and will enshrine us as a race of people in the Constitution, reinstating race-based treatment of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. It's better, on this view, to put serious effort into practically improving life for those in remote communities rather than dwelling on the past, shameful as it is. This week, uh, in his address to the National Press Club, um, Mundine actually lamented the way the voice's narrative of victimhood disempowers those in his community. He describes the choice in this way. Do we want Australia to be a liberal democracy where all people are equal, where all Australians can reconcile and moving ahead with a united purpose? Or do we want to be a country where people are divided by race, permanently in conflict with each other over facts of history that cannot be altered? Well, there's the case for no. And these are weighty matters, aren't they? And they deserve, I think, our full attention and thought in the lead-up to this Saturday. Thankfully, Proverbs teaches us something, though, which I find really helpful. Through particularly chapters 1 to 9 of Proverbs, the foundation of wisdom is ultimately what? The fear of the Lord. Fear not in the sense of being afraid. Fear in the sense of acknowledging that God is God and we are not. It means acknowledging uh, that try as we might, we are not always able to undo sins, particularly not ones a long time ago. We're not always able to make things right at this massive scale. But there is coming a day when Jesus will shine a light over everything and bring justice to the world. The fear of the Lord also means acknowledging that we don't always know the future. We don't know which risks will come real and which risks won't and which opportunities we'll be thankful for in the end. But Jesus does know. And so I want to leave us, as we consider these two wise cases, with the words of Auntie Jean Phillips, a senior Aboriginal Christian leader. To me, all these issues need to be based on prayer and asking God to guide us and to help us. We need to be coming together at the foot of the cross and acknowledge the history of this nation, which has not been a very good history. And it's only as we come to the cross and meet with our Saviour that things could change. Well, I'm into that. Let's pray and then we'll take some questions. Our Heavenly Father, we do sit at the foot of the cross as uh, people who acknowledge not only our own sins, but the sins of the nation we are part of. And we know that old sins cast long uh, shadows. So we do uh, lament and confess the reality that we've talked about today. But we feel also the weight of working out what to do next. So we pray uh, that you would guide us, uh, that we would do right, and we thank you that one day 
justice will be made clear. Justice will be done. And we look to that day and want to be part of what you are already doing in the world. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and have a stretch, then we'll uh, do some questions. Now, one, one key fact, Saturday week. Right? Don't turn up in a week's time. <laughs> there was one detail I was going to get right today. <laughs> Saturday week. Saturday Thank you. week. Yeah, good, yeah. two weeks. All right. Good. Now that that's sorted, we don't need to use that question. We'll yeah. jump in <laughs> uh, to the first question then. WWJD. Which, for those in the room who didn't grow up in the 90s Christian chokehold, uh, what would Jesus do? How do you believe Jesus would have approached the referendum decision? Yeah, well, being God, he had a certain advantage, didn't he? Mm. <laughs> it's not fair. Um, yeah, so I think um, what we see when, when Jesus is confronted um, by ethical decisions, which he did have, and, and people asked him complex mm. questions, he um, displayed his wisdom. He is Proverbs incarnate. Right? He is wisdom himself. Um, and so I think, um, actually, we, we, he would... I mean, this sounds kind of trite, given we're doing Proverbs, but I do think he, he was formed as a, as a boy growing up in the wisdom of Proverbs, and he would have put that into practice in what he decided. So I think exactly what we're doing, hopefully, today. He had an advantage, but we still have Proverbs um, to, to kind of train ourselves to be wise. Um, because people noticed his wisdom, not just his miracle. Pardon me, his miracles. They noticed his wisdom from a young age, and I think it uh, was he was trained like all good Jewish boys on on the Torah. Mm. Good answer. Jump to the next one. As an immigrant who came to Australia in pursuit of the society that was established by British colonisation, what is our role in reconciliation? It seems like some voices want us to feel guilt for the society. Yeah, it's a really helpful question. And just acknowledging also that um, in our church, there's so many different experiences and relations to this past. Um, So, I mean, my ancestors were chicken thieves, um, (laughs) Irish chicken thieves um, who who came here because they got caught. 
um, essentially, uh, whereas others um, have come very recently. And so, yeah, what is it like walking? I mean, I'd love to hear, as we discussed this this week, uh, your experience um, as well. One thing I would say is we're not very good in Western cultures in general of understanding what collective responsibility means. In other words, I wasn't there when John Batman and Melbourne and that stuff was happening. All right, so I'm not, it's not that I'm personally responsible for what he chose to do, but I am part of a group. All right, I have a, a corporate responsibility, and so we together need to deal with this past, and I have a responsibility individually within that. We're not really good at thinking through that, but the Bible is actually. The Bible all the time talks about um, our collective responsibility to deal with things. Just as I accept the benefits of being part of this group, I also have to work for... Um, making right the things um, that are wrong. And so I think, um, however you've come here, if we're part of this nation together, we just need to deal with both the past, but also probably more pressingly, we have to deal with the current reality, right? That there is just a massive gap between um, mm. all, at all sorts of levels between the outcome, particularly of people living in remote Aboriginal communities. And there's lots of complex reasons for that. Um, but we, as a nation, need to not shy away from... Um, confronting those realities. So that's what I'd say, I think, as a, as a, as a group, this is how we, we move forward. Mm. Okay. We'll jump to our next one. Is it fair to ask Indigenous people to forgive European settlers as Jesus has forgiven us? Yeah, great, great question. Really great question. Um, and I think by saying sorry, you are putting yourself at the mercy of the other person. And I think we don't like to do that as humans. Because when you confront a story that you are powerless to change and yet you are part of, um, as a nation, it really puts us at a disadvantage to be vulnerable to confess and by confessing, ask to forgive. Now, they don't have to. Right? That's, just, that, that, that's part of the deal. You can't say sorry, but only say sorry if you're going to forgive me. That, that, that's not how it works. Right? Mm. But one thing I will say is the grace... Um, I mean, and, and not, not, not only, but ma- many of the Indigenous people I've spoken with are, are deeply Christian in their outlook and are, are so gracious, mm. right, are so ready to move forward. Um, so I, I, I think just, no, we, we can't expect people to forgive us, but um, I think the, the hand of grace that has been shown, just, I mean, read the statement, see what you think. Um, I think the hand of grace has been extended and I think, um, yeah, to assume that that our, our, um, is not right, but I think it is, it is definitely... Well, all we can do is ask for forgiveness, really, um, at that point. Mm. That's great. Uh, I think we have time for one more. Cool. Oh, yeah, great. Um, should we trust the government to make godly decisions regarding the unspecified elements of the voice? Is it wise to give additional power to the government to select the voice at their own discretion? Yeah, great, great question. So, um, this, and there's a little, little bit of the complexity around it, which requires us to, to kind of look at the detail. So, what we're voting on is an amendment to the Constitution, which gives the power to the Parliament to work out the details. Okay, and that's very normal. Like, so this very referendum, right, that we're taking under the Constitution to change the Constitution is governed by Acts of Parliament, which work out the details, like polling places, all that kind of mechanics. It's similar with the voice. Um, in that we're not given much detail deliberately because it's up to Parliament to decide that detail. Now, should you trust the government? No. <laughs> right, what, are you mad? They're humans. 
the Bible does not tell you to trust anybody except God. But you have to decide to trust people in life. So yes, also. That's the problem with life, right? You have to both... I mean, don't inherently trust anyone. But we have to, in the sense of, like, entrusting ourselves too, in the sense of, like, um, giving them over the power. Yes, absolutely, because they're the government. We need to pray for them that they make a good choice. So I'd say, no, don't trust them, but do pray for them that make a godly decision. Mm. Um, uh, is it wise to give that power to the government? Well, I mean, they're our government, right? So we elect them. Um, and it's probably, um, yeah, it's important to elect good people to government. I hope some of you will think about getting into politics. Um, but no, yeah, yes and no. <laughs> Don't trust them, but do pray for them. Um, yeah, I hope that's confusing enough at that point to, <laughs> to leave that. It's good. Well, it's good. It's, it's a good next step. So why don't we do that? I think we should pray we for should them. We should pray for them. Let's pray, church. Father, we give our government up to you. Well, we pray for your help and we pray for your wisdom. Uh, Father, you invite us to ask you for wisdom and so this is us asking for it. Uh, Lord, would you guide them? Would you give them grace? Would you give them um, insight into what it is that you want? Lord, would you uh, protect them? Lord, and would you give us um, the ability to take what we've thought through today, um, to pray, uh, to be thoughtful in how we approach the referendum. Um, and Lord, would we, would we seek your kingdom? Lord, would we um, seek your will? Um, would we do so with grace? May we do so with unity, even in disagreement. Uh, would you help us to see how to do that well? Lord, and we, yeah, we, we give our nation over to you. Um, it's already yours, but Lord, we put it back in your hands again, um, praying for your help, uh, praying for your hand, uh, and praying for your will to be done. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.